Glad to look at what God's been teaching us in his word. Um, today we're going to look at how to have a thankful heart. And my hope is that we will realize um, that a thankful heart leads to a joyful life. And God gives us ways to do that. Um, years ago, the church was young, probably, gosh, 25 years ago. There was a very elderly woman who attended here a little bit. Uh, her name was Betty. And we all love Betty, and Betty loved us. Uh, since then, she's long ago gone to be with her Savior. Uh, Betty had lots of needs. She lived alone. She wasn't very healthy, so she had needs in her home. She had needs to get places. People would pick her up every Sunday and drive her to church. Um, she had other needs like that. The church was amazing. Uh, people spent tons of time with her, really helping her out. Now... Betty often didn't notice that. Now, she loved us, and sometimes she did, but for the most part, she kind of uh, was blinded to those things and often wondered why the church wasn't helping her more. So she would call us sometimes and kind of vent, and so one day she's venting to me on the phone about people not caring about her, and, and I'm just listening, let her vent, and all of a sudden I hear, and I said, Betty, what? What's that sound in the background? And she stopped for a second, her complaining, and said, Oh, some deacons are over here rebuilding my kitchen cabinets. <laughs> anyway, when is the church going to help me out here? And it was so sad. Now I want to ask you this question. Do you think Betty was a woman of joy? <laughs> Ignoring the goodness of God that's right around us steals the joy out of our life. All around us are gifts of God, the beauty of God, but often we just put our nose in our circumstances so we live discouraged and unhappy lives. But while this is happening, there's a truce pounding in the background. God is good. God has been good to you. We have to listen to it and look upward. James 1.17 tells us, on your verse sheet. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, which means the God of the sun and the moon, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He gives us each other. He gives us shelter. He gives us ministry. He gives us a church home. But above all that, he uh, gives us an eternal friendship. An intimacy with our Creator and our God. So what does God expect from us since He gives us all these things? Look at Ephesians 5. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. To get our nose out of our circumstances, to listen to the pounding, to be reminded, look up at God. And I have to tell you, the women of Christ Chapel have so inspired me because I know of some of the most difficult trials uh, in women in this fellowship, but still uh, living with a spirit of thanksgiving and how that blesses the whole body. Remember a few weeks ago, our own Kathy Mahaffey, I'm not sure if she's in here, stood up and shared about, she um, a few months ago was in the university parking lot, fell on that parking lot with something that was sticking out, and broke her jaw, 
broke her chin, broke out her teeth, uh, was in great pain, couldn't eat, couldn't get out of bed. She was honest about the fact that this was difficult, but she did not forget to look up from her circumstances to the reality that God is good. And so she looked around at what was happening to her to look for things to thank God for. And she talked about the love of her husband. She talked about the love of her friends. She had that focus of looking to see how was God's goodness in any way involved in this. And I love it. She told me that she would put a scripture every day on Facebook to encourage her and encourage the people that were praying for it. And she kept a journal while she was searching for the goodness of God to write those things down. Without a spirit of thanksgiving in our hearts, true joy will escape us throughout our life. Now we know from last week, Judah had often ignored the goodness of God. But this week, we can hold on to their shirt tails as they continue renewing their relationship with God and their journey to God. And uh, this moment in history, we're going to look at a wall that they rebuilt. Remember, Vanita told us this. In 52 days, they will see God's goodness with hearts of thanksgiving. They will gather together to celebrate God, and God will give them the gift of joy. We get to watch that. Before we go to the celebration, though, I want us to learn some other things from their actions and their attitudes that really, in my mind, helped grow a spirit of thanksgiving inside of them, and we can learn some of those things ourselves. So one way to grow a heart of thanksgiving, to live a joyful life, is to protect holiness in your life. And by holiness, I mean having the kind of relationship with God that you have chosen to line up your life with his word. And you may say, what in the world does holiness have to do with creating a heart of thanksgiving? We were created to walk a path of holiness, and we will never be happy or thankful walking down any other path. Look at Psalm 17. You have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. We will never be happy searching for happiness. That puts us on all the wrong paths, and it leaves us frustrated. It leaves us discouraged. It leaves us confused. It leaves us empty. Someone was telling me this morning, I think Jim Carrey has a line on Facebook. Maybe some of you read it. I'm not sure exactly what it said, but the essence was, he says this, I wish everyone had the opportunity to possess fame and fortune so they'll be able to realize this is not the answer. That's exactly right. Walking a path that lines up with the Word of God is the only way to find blessing and peace, and purpose, even in the midst of our trials. What's the result of those things in our life? A thankful heart. And we become people who walk in the joy of the Lord. This is what's been happening to Judah. She's begun to realize more and more that um, the steps we take should be holy steps, and we'll begin to see Judah grow that heart of thanksgiving. Let's turn to chapter 11. Verse 1. 
Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commanded all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. These are the provincial leaders who settled in Jerusalem. Now some Israelites, priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants lived in the towns of Judah, each on his own property in the various towns, while other people from Judah and Benjamin lived in Jerusalem. Okay, after that, look down, and there's name after name after name again. Someone told me that when they were pregnant with their first child, their dad would get a list like that out and call her every day and say, I thought of a name for the baby. (laughs) And read one of these names. I thought that was a good idea. (laughs) Can any of these lists of names serve a good purpose? Yes. We've looked at that over the past uh, few weeks that we've been studying this. But I hope from these lists in this study, you get the picture that this is a people united. They are becoming more and more united and together. And these lists remind us of that. Their nationalistic spirit was being rekindled while the rebuilding of Jerusalem was taking place. It came with a new awareness of their relationship to God and their relationship to each other. Now, these people, we remember, had tasted the bitterness of slavery because they had sinned against God. Now they're awakening to the truth The God we are to follow is a holy God. Since we belong to a holy God, since we are his, they began to recognize they were citizens of a holy city, members of a holy people, possessors of a holy purpose. Remember, the first half of Nehemiah was about rebuilding the wall. The second half is about rebuilding a people into holiness. So even though the temple was finished and the wall was finished, the city of Jerusalem was still broken. Very few people lived in it. The leaders lived there, but not the people. And why would that be? So here's a few possibilities. Remember, we have to remember when the people came into the city, Jerusalem, the temple wasn't rebuilt, the walls weren't rebuilt. So you imagine people coming back. One of the reasons they didn't want to live there was fear. It was the first place an enemy would come to attack the Israelites. It would have been in Jerusalem. And then before the walls were finished, they were totally vulnerable to the attack of their enemies and other nations. So fear. It was a dangerous place. Need. Okay, how good do you think the soil would be in the ruins and rubbles of Jerusalem? Not very good. So they went out to the fertile soils or land they owned before. They wanted to be able to eat. Another possibility are some selfish reasons. Comfort. It would be a lot of work to live in the city. There are 90 years of rocks and rubble and ruins in the city of Jerusalem. So you got to get rid of that, rebuild. That was going to take a lot of work. Also, before they had enough guards, if you were in the city, you had to do night duty. Even if you weren't a gatekeeper, you had to go up and and help guard the city. Okay, selfishness. It would mean they would have to set aside their own land and their plans of prosperity. Apathy. It would mean giving up their life's agendas for God's agendas. Okay, 
time went by, they've had the example of Ezra. They've had the example of Nehemiah. They've had the teaching of God's words. Remember those awesome verses? They're breaking down their confession. Now they look, the temple and the walls are rebuilt. And in verse 1, how do they describe the city now? The holy city. They're getting it. They're coming to understand who they are and what the city must be. But without a large population of holy people living in the city, carrying out God's work, carrying out God's worship, how would it maintain its holiness? It wouldn't be a very viable spiritual city if there weren't a lot of spiritual people in it. It could begin to resemble again the pagan nations around it. They could lose their spiritual foundation. And also with a low population, they were still vulnerable to enemies and would probably quickly be conquered and overcome by these enemies. It would not be possible for the Jews to remain separate, to work out their divine mission from God without this strong and safe center. They were, um, so they had to have these measures for the preservation of this life. Or they could have blended into the mass of all the races around them with no distinctive calling at all. But we know Israel was called by God to be set apart, to be holy. God reminded them of this. Look on your verse sheet right after um, he delivered them from Egypt, Exodus 19. God says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the people. For all the earth is mine, says the Lord, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It had to be a serious business to repopulate the city of Jerusalem. They couldn't just grab someone passing through looking for some cheap real estate and say, we got a good, come on over here. A little bit of rocks, a little bit of rubble. No. The person to inhabit the city of God had to have a heart for God's holiness and his holy covenant. That's who needed to repopulate the city. They would be used by God to protect the city physically and spiritually, its treasures and its sacredness. So the leadership decided that one out of every ten people of Judah uh, needed to live in Jerusalem. And here's a wonderful uh, example that we know their attitude is changing. Some people volunteer. That's awesome. Here's the other way we know their, ha their attitude is changing. People honored and blessed them for volunteering. It shows us what's happening to them. These were people living outside of the city who God began to beat their hearts with an interest in returning Jerusalem to its former glory and to represent a holy God. And the people honored and appreciated them for that. And I thought about this. Nehemiah could have assigned people. You guys go, you go, you in the back, you get your family, you move in. It's so great that he didn't want people there that were there out of obligation. He wanted people there that said, I want to be there because I love God. I get it. I want to be a part of the people of God and the city of God. 
They also cast lots to accomplish this ratio of 1 in 10, and uh, this showed their submission to the will of God. Uh, look at Proverbs 16:33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. This is what they did in the Old Testament. You can read about them casting lots to find out God's will 70 times in the Old Testament. And casting lots was almost like throwing the dice. They had something they threw, either sticks of different length or stones or coins to decide what God wanted them to do. I wanted to mention this. We only see this once in the New Testament before the Holy Spirit came. This is when all the disciples got together and they cast lots to see who should be the 12th disciple now that Judas was gone and Matthias was who they felt God was calling. Um, Holy Spirit came right after that. Never see it again. We have the Holy Spirit. We have a guide. So don't be casting lots to decide which grocery store to go to. You don't need to do that. Okay, within the walls of Jerusalem are these five people groups. 3,044 total men came in to settle in the city. First kind of people group, those who volunteered to live there. The laymen from the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. There were 468 from the tribe of Judah, 928 from the tribe of Benjamin. Thirdly, the people that worked in the temple, the priests, and their kinsmen, 1,192. That number kind of blew me away. Uh, also, temple servants there. Those who worked outside of the temple, the Levites, 284. They would maintain the outside of the temple, the temple grounds. They did ministry jobs outside of the temple, counseling, judging. They possibly collected the tithes of the people. And they also were called to lead the people in thanksgiving and prayer and praise to God. And then fifthly, those who kept the gates, 172 people. All of these people, this is a big number, are together united with one purpose to obey God, do their part to protect this city, and when they protected it, they would also be protecting their own holiness at the same time because they were doing it together. Now, the story of Judah coming together to strengthen Jerusalem is a lot like our story today. We are like the stones of Jerusalem we are building the church of Jesus Christ today as his followers. Um, let's look at 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are also members of a holy city, the city of God, the church of Jesus Christ. We are also members of a holy people, the church of Jesus Christ. We are also possessors of a holy purpose to proclaim the greatness of God and his Son, Jesus Christ. And so the church is designed by God as one way to help keep us holy. 
And at the same time, as it's keeping us holy, we are helping keep the church holy together as a group and a body. Like Judah, we're strengthening up the holy walls of the church. Protecting the holy purpose of the church will protect the holiness of its members. Listen to this quote. I thought it was so great. Gathering disciples into the fold of Christian fellowship is just as important to the cause of Christianity as the organization of Jerusalem was to that of Judaism. The Christian city of God, which is the church, stands out before the world as a beacon of separation from sin, a testimony to the grace of God, a center for the confession of faith. So we have to accept the responsibilities of church citizenship to stay on a holy path. Okay, you can envision what we just read in Nehemiah. As believers, we can't decide, like the people that were apathetic and selfish in Judah, I'm going to build my Christian life over here by myself because it's better for me this way. Never was our faith supposed to be some solo faith without any responsibility to each other we can't say i'm going to stay at a distance from the center of my faith the church and that's going to be okay i'm going to tend my own garden i'm going to follow my own agenda we don't have that choice and we should be grateful for it we're part of a body we belong to each other We are the body of Christ. Even Jesus sees Jew, Gentile, all believers in one flock. Look at John 10. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. That's you and I. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So like the remnant protecting the center of their faith in Judah, we have to guard the gates, do our guard duty at the church. We have responsibilities just like in Jerusalem. There are enemies that surround the church today. God has equipped each of us with different gifts, different strengths to be able to guard against the enemy that wants to come and um, hurt the church to protect holiness We have to do it together. Okay, so one of the first ways to grow a thankful heart is to protect holiness in your life. But there's something else we can learn from these two chapters. We have to search for the goodness of God. Remember the movie, Brother, Where Art Thou? I don't know how many of you saw it, but there were these kind of crazy guys in it. And off and on, they live these strange lives. Off and on, a couple of them really pray to God. They get needy enough, and then they pray, and then they see God answer. But one of them is always a skeptic, doesn't believe anything ever comes from God. He sees himself as an intellectual and a realist. And so in the, one of the very last scenes, it's been so long, I don't remember it well, a flood just takes over. And there's these three guys bobbing in the water, about to drown. And so two of them are just praying, God, God, help us, help us. And up pops this, I think it was a log or something like that. And the two brothers grab onto it and look up and say, thank you, God, we cannot believe it. And as the third one's hanging on, 
the log, he says, well, you know, the weight of this log in the water and the way the currents were moving, and that's what made the log came up. Totally ignoring the hand of God in that situation. And I realized this could have been exactly what happened to the remnant when that wall was finished. What could they have done? They could have built that wall. They spent 52 days nonstop building the wall. They could have built the wall and stepped back and said, wow, we did great. They're patting themselves on their back. And while they're doing it, who are they turning their back on? God and all that he had done for them. And they could have celebrated their hard work and been excited. There are many reasons that didn't happen. And here's one of them. The celebration of the completed wall was delayed. And I think that was probably Nehemiah's plan. After the wall was completed, probably about three months went by before they had this celebration. And what took place in those three months? You know, because you've been studying it, doing homework on it. Confession, the reading of the word, celebrating the festival, worship, prayer, the signing of the agreement with God to follow him and his ways. These were important moments that was preparing the hearts of the people to enter a holy city. It was also preparing the hearts of the people to understand this all is an act of God. It gave them time to realize that. We are often tempted to confuse God's good gifts by our own personal accomplishments, especially if we look at it immediately right after it happens. Judah had time to search for the hand of God in the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem, and it prepared them spiritually they were ready to celebrate understanding that it was God who's been at work all along. They looked beyond the visible to recognize the spiritual. They looked above the wall and they saw God there. There's a woman that's connected to our church. She's been in and out of different ministries here. Um, mostly in our downtown ministry. And uh, she was in huge trouble. She was a very serious drug addict. And um, she could not get away from it. And um, a lot of people in our church, a lot of our women spent time with her, tried to hold her accountable, tried to love and help her. And I am amazed at God's um, incredible power because if you knew this woman you would just think how can she ever get out of this life she also was of course jobless had no family no person homeless and um, I can remember one time having her in my car and she said you know what I miss the most being homeless I said what she said onion rings I said onion rings so we drove through Whataburger, and I gave her a pack of onion rings. But she would tell you, I want to be homeless. I don't want someone telling me what to do, when to get up, when to do something. Um, some women in our church would bring her blankets, because in the winter she lived under the bridge, just over there by University Park. All that to say, through God's power, she has come to know him. She's been clean now for over a year. She has a job. 
She communicates and is connected to people. She's reunited with her mother and her family. And here's what she could say. It was a rehab center. It was just those people. I was just lucky. It was that one doctor I had. I want to read to you just a few of the texts. There's a woman in our church. This woman sends a text to her almost every day. I got three of them. Father, today I want to thank you for all your son, Jesus Christ, has done for my life. Father, today I'm thankful for faith and hope in my life. Father, I thank you for all the love and peace I feel from you. And she signs every single text one day at a time in Jesus' name. She is thankful because she has looked beyond the visible and saw the spiritual. She sees that it's God at work. It is God who has delivered her. It's God who's brought her the hope. Judah has now a different perspective. They now also look beyond the temporary to recognize the eternal. So as they repaired the walls, they had to realize it's, it's about much more than just having a wall for us to enjoy. This is about protecting a people and a faith for all eternity. These are two great disciplines for us when we want to grow a thankful spirit in our heart. First of all, we can ask ourselves these questions. How do I see the invisible hand of God in this visible blessing before me? And secondly, how does this blessing that's before me reflect the eternal purposes of God? Two questions we can ask as we think about our blessings. Recognizing God's graciousness in our lives means we are taking the time to reflect upon these good gifts. Okay, Judah's walking on God's holy path. They are searching for his goodness, and they realize it's all around them. It's time to celebrate. They're going to celebrate the gifts of God. Look at chapter 12. Okay, now, what do we see right off the bat? First thing, another list. Okay, there's a purpose. Remember, there's always a purpose for these. This is a list of all the priests and the Levites for the last 90 years that have been a part of the rebuilding of Jerusalem and uh, starting with when Zerubbabel came. We studied him. It's been a little while now. This is what the list is. And here's what I think Nehemiah is doing. He's reminding them again. These are all the people. It's not just about us. We are part of a bigger group, the nation of Israel that God called out. These are all the people that have been faithfully serving. You're a part of these people. Let's remember that. Together we're accomplishing God's plan. And I love that you'll even see David's name mentioned in this list. I think it's a way to remind them our heritage started a long time ago. What we're doing today is all a part of that. What a great thing. Okay, let's look at verse 27. We'll skip those names. 
At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages, I won't name them, For the singers had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. And when the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I love it. We just get this visual picture of life going on with the people of Judah. But they step out of their everyday responsibilities to go and fulfill their responsibility to celebrate. Because celebration is a responsibility that we have. They did it enthusiastically. Hey, the wall is up, but now they're seeing life within the wall. They see the temple. They see it active. They see the people. They see commerce. They see worship going on, people filling it up. And I love it when they have to gather around. The the Levites weren't carrying around their cell phones. This was not easy to gather all these people that are spread out in all these villages. And I envision the Levites, you know, dusting off their harp and running out the door with their harp and grabbing their lyre and running out and their cymbals. And we can see the singers warming up and maybe on their way to the city doing their scales to get their voices ready to sing. And this is their job. The Levites' job was to lead the people in worship. And they're getting ready to do that. But before any outer celebration takes place, an inner purity has to be accomplished. Again, what we just talked about, this illustrates that holiness precedes thanksgiving. So the priests and the Levites, they purify themselves, the people, the wall, and the gates, probably by the sprinkling of the sacrificial blood of some animals. And then Nehemiah assigns the leaders of Judah, get up on that wall. And then he tells two choirs of people, probably dozens in each choir, get up on the wall and give thanks. And then he tells the priests and some priests with trumpets. And I thought, that's kind of a scary combination. Priests with trumpets. It sounds like a movie. Priests with trumpets. Okay. Then men with musical instruments, all of them on that wall, in their hearts, a spirit of thanksgiving as they're up there. One of these choir groups led by Ezra. The other choir group, Nehemiah, is following along. Ezra's group moves counterclockwise. They all start in one place. They move counterclockwise. Nehemiah's choir, it goes clockwise. And here's what it seems like. I thought this was so neat. That they started at the valley gate. Remember the valley gate? Remember when Nehemiah first came into the city and he did his little night inspection ride and he was going along? He was at the valley gate when he was doing his inspecting. And I think that's why they started there because, wow, this is awesome. Look what it used to be. Look what God has done. This is an amazing sight. Joyful worship on this wall around the city. An amazing sound, a procession of beautiful music for God, a celebration of what God had done for his people. And I want us to remember, this is not a wall from here to here. 
and they're done. This wall covered a city that housed over 3,000 men alone. This took time. This was fun. This went on for a long time. And I personally sort of envision the people within the walls kind of running along with them as they made their way around the city. And I also envision people, if this were me, I would have gone to the part of the wall that held really special memories for me, where me and my family or my clan or my neighbors, we were. And I'd stand there and thank God for that, that we got to be a part of this. And I would celebrate at that time. And I bet some of them, in their minds, they were reviewing the words of Psalm 48. Write that down. I don't have it on your verse sheet. Psalm 48. Go home and read that. Listen to this. It's so great. Walk about Jerusalem. Go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell them to the next generation, for this is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. A lot of those people would have known that Psalm 48. Look at verse 40 in chapter 12. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests. I won't name them. The priests with their trumpets again. And also, they named some other people. The choirs sang under the direction of Jezrehiah. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. The destination, the house of God. Because this isn't about a wall. This is about God. So they come to the temple. There's rejoicing. There's singing. They're sacrificing, and there's lots and lots of noise. Now, you remember in the book of Ezra, and we talked about when the foundation was first done, and when that foundation was finished, it said half the people were weeping because they were remembering the old foundation, and half the people were shouting for joy because they saw that the work was beginning. And it says that the people in the distance heard this sound, But they wouldn't have been sure of what that sound from Jerusalem was. Today, they would have known right off. Jerusalem is celebrating their God. And they are rejoicing. The work is done. He is good. What I love next was their thankful hearts and their thankfulness to God naturally naturally led into a thankfulness for the priests and Levites whose job it was to lead them in this worship. And so immediately it tells us that they were faithful to commit. We will keep the storehouses in the temple filled with provision so the Levites and the priests will be able to continue their work among us. We're thankful for it. And here's what I love. It's another insight into what's happened to their hearts They weren't just saying, this was a fun day to celebrate. By filling up the storehouse, what were they saying? We're making a plan to continue 
to praise God. That's who we want to be. And we want that to happen in our lives. Judah illustrates many things about thankfulness here. So I'm just going to look real quickly at three things. To celebrate God's goodness, be eager to come to the celebration. That means just like Judah, set aside your normal responsibilities. Don't let them fill up every second of your day so you never come to fulfill your responsibility of celebrating God in the world. That's what we're supposed to do. Look at Psalm 145. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. God's people celebrating is a way for the lost world to learn about God. And if we are a a bored, melancholy, quiet people, how are they going to learn about our God? We have a responsibility to celebrate. Then in the distance, the lost will hear us, see us, and desire to know our God. Secondly, don't be afraid to get on the wall of Thanksgiving. People on the wall of celebration sort of stand out. Maybe you're not comfortable with that, but we have to remember what Paul said. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We have so much to rejoice about. Our salvation, our sins forgiven. Our future, our hope, a God that loves us. So we don't necessarily have to blow a trumpet, but we have to decide we're going to march on that wall of celebration and rejoicing one step at a time our entire life in order to point people to the goodness of God. And finally, support the celebration of others. Uh, Judah supporting their worship leaders to me was a good illustration of this. Um, years ago, my son was in high school, and for those of you that have or have had or will have a son in high school, you just love it if they ever share anything with you. It, like, doesn't happen. And so my son Tyler, I was in the den one day, and he came in the room, and there was this song that really moved him. He was really excited about it. He said, Mom, I just want you to hear this song. And I said, oh, yay, great, put it on. So we have this uh, system in the den. He, he pressed a button, and the song came on, and he ran upstairs for a second. And I'm standing there in the den. <laughs> you know, the song didn't mean much to me. And I look down at my carpet and think, this, is, this needs to be vacuumed. <laughs> this, this is the saddest story, you guys. I go out, I go get my vacuum. I'm vacuuming while the song is on. And my son Tyler comes down the stairs and stops in the den and says, You're vacuuming? And I had lost a moment to celebrate the joy of my son and share in that celebration. When others want to share their praises with us, what's our job? Don't go out and vacuum. Stop, listen, rejoice with them. Don't envy them. Don't doubt them. Listen, lift up the name of God with them. Celebrate 
with them. When you do that, you'll be filling up the storehouse in their heart, just like Judah filled up the storehouse of the Levites. And let me say this. Sometimes people come into our lives and want to point out things they're celebrating in our life. And sometimes we try to talk them out of it. No, this is what, or I don't know. I'm just, don't do that. Say thank you. What a gift from God. I wasn't looking at it that way. Join in the celebration that they have. This is what keeps celebration alive in the church. This is what puts the church high on a wall so people in the distance can hear us and join us. So God is holding in his generous hand the gift of joy. In order to receive it, we make choices to grow a heart of thanksgiving. Let's pray. Lord, you are good and we are thankful. Lift our spirits today with this reality. Remind us of this as we face hard things every day that we may continue to find ways to thank you and receive the gift of joy from your hand. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.